Uh, let's pray. Lord, we come to you again in prayer for those around us. Lord, you know that Christmas can be a very lonely time for some of us, as we may have lost loved ones or some of our loved ones aren't around anymore. They're away. And some of our beloved family members are, have, have passed on. And Lord, you know this can be a, a painful time for, for us. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would grant us affectionate hearts in this church. That affectionate hearts that, that looks out for the lonely and, and for the hurting. And Lord, affectionate hearts that, that seeks to, to comfort the lonely and, and the hurting. Because the church, Lord, at its roots is the family of God. It's a community so close and so intimate that it, it knows each other's pain and it wants to help each other. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, you would comfort the lonely and, and broken in Ravenhill Presbyterian and you would enable us to, to do the same. Lord, we pray for Marty and his family uh, may you grant them rest and peace over Christmas as they meditate on, on the sending of the Lord Jesus to a world that is restless. And indeed, that is our prayer for each of us in this congregation, God, that the source of peace would enable us to be a people who bring rest with us wherever we go. Lord, as we consider uh, your word now, may we shed the, the burden of slavery to the law that, and may we consider and embrace the highest calling that you give to us and that is to, to be your children. May this reality, God, transform our lives and may we act like children of a holy and, and good and, and faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray this and amen. Our second reading is going to come from Galatians again, Galatians 4, 4 to 7. And this is what uh, I'll be speaking on uh, later. But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's God's word. So a few years ago, I went out to Romania, and out there we, we stayed close to a place, uh, it, was a, it was a gypsy village, um, Roma gypsy village, and it was a very poor area. They lived in mud huts, they um, lived on, on a big hill, a big muddy hill, and, and uh, there was the potential of their homes being destroyed by a flood. There was no foundation, so their, their, their homes could just fall down the hill. So we went out there to build houses, and whilst we were building houses, I can remember seeing some just terrible scenes. So, I remember seeing a child, probably four to seven, I don't know what age, but it was a young child just playing on the ground and sitting in a big mound of, of horse dung. And, it would, and, and the child was 
picking up the horse dung and then kind of shaping it and, and molding it as if it was playing with Play-Doh. Um, and I highly doubt that that child went home and washed their hands after playing with this because there was no source of, of clean water. There was a, a, a stream that kind of trickled through the village, a very shallow stream, and it was muddy water. And I can remember seeing a, a child stoop down, kind of cupping their hands and, and, and picking up water and, and drinking from this water. And then I looked a little bit upstream, and I saw another child urinating into that same stream. It was terrible scenes, just tragic to, to witness. And our, our, our lives are so far removed from from this, that it's almost like we live like, like kings or, or queens compared to these children. Well, I think one of the, one of the greatest experiences uh, I found and what the team I was with found as well was when the, the children came from the village into the kids' camp. We, they came to the house where we were staying at and the kids came in and they were, they were muddy and, and dirty and in ragged clothes and they were, uh, you know, the, their, their clothes probably hadn't been changed for about six months. And, but they came in with, with beaming faces, so happy to see us. And they came and, and, and ran off the bus and just jumped on the trampoline and they, they loved it. But I think what, was, what stood out to me and, and the rest of the team was when the, women chill, uh, the w- when the women washed the children and when they clothed the children. They, the, the children came out fresh and just beaming, s- such happy faces. And after, after that, I can remember some of the women saying, don't you just wish you could take one of those children home? You know, there's a, a very deep longing in us, isn't there? That when we see a child in need of help, we, we want to help them. It's a very deep longing in us. But you know what's tragic? It, it was illegal, to, I mean, it's illegal to take one of those children home. But what's, what's tragic is that they went back to the circumstance they were in, back to the village with no source of water. They back back to the village where the, they would, the clothes would disintegrate and, and become dirty again. And they went back to their families. And you know, what's, what's the most tragic thing about it was that very often the fathers were quite abusive to their children and they were willing to, to spend all of the family income on, on alcohol rather than on, on feeding their, their family. That's, that is a, a tragic circumstance. And it was tragic to witness. But this morning I, I would like to talk about God the Father taking pity on us who were once poor because of our sin. Us who once belonged to an abusive owner who, who belonged to a tragic circumstance. But in compassion, God sending his son to pay the price for our release from that circumstance, to pay the price that we couldn't afford uh, so that God the Father could adopt us as children as his children, and give us an imperishable hope of a life that we, we don't deserve. That's my topic this morning. But before we jump into the passage, I want to give a little bit of context about what's going on in, in Galatians, uh, and hopefully this, hopefully this will make the passage a little bit clearer. So the church in, in Galatia is under threat. Uh, there are some false teachers coming in, and they're teaching a gospel which is contrary to the one that Paul taught 
They're saying, yes, you do need faith in Jesus to be justified, to be saved, but you also need to abide by the works of the law. You need to abide by the law of Moses to be justified. And so Paul is, 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 is writing to the Galatians, don't fall for this, and he's, he's, he's uh, picking apart the, the, uh, this false gospel and he's, and he's trying to defend, or he's, he is defending his own gospel. And uh, that's, that's what's going on at the minute. And just before the passage uh, we read in Galatians 4, uh, in Galatians 3, Paul is explaining what the true gospel is, what the gospel, how, how we can be justified, how we can be saved. And so he, 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 he presents the problem, the problem that we all have. And he presents it in this way. He, he quotes a verse from Deuteronomy 27, which says this, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. But then Paul, when he was talking about this verse, he, he wrote just before that, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Right, there's, there's, there's a bit of a nuance there. Uh, you may see it. I'll, I'll read it again. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. You may not have noticed the nuance, but I'll, what, what, what he's saying is everybody... Everybody in this room, everybody on earth is under a curse. They can't uphold the words of the law. They can't do the works of the law. They can't fulfill the law's demands, which is perfection. And so we all fall short of the law's demands. And so the curse is called the curse of of sin. And if I asked us all to raise our hands, I'll not ask us to raise our hands, but if if I did, uh, and I asked the question, do you want to be a good person? I think we probably would all raise our hands. I think everybody wants to be a good person. Even the most evil people in the world think that they are doing good for humanity, actually. Um, And what what does that tell us? It tells us that we are under the law. We want to do the law. We want to do good. But the problem is that we that we can't. And if I asked another question, are you a good person? Well, that's a, I think that one would probably split the crowd. There's probably some people that are thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm not so bad, am I? And generally do good things and I'm generally a good person. And then there's other people in the room probably thinking, I can't do anything good without doing wrong what does the Bible say? The Bible says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. So have we, have we done something wrong today or yesterday or the day before? Well, then we've fallen short. And that is evidence that we are under the curse of the law, that we can't fulfill the law's demands. We fall short. So think, think of the curse uh, as a prison. Uh, this, is what, this is the analogy Paul uses in Galatians 3 that I read before. Uh, The curse is a prison and the law. So the Ten Commandments is the prison guard. So we are in this prison and the guard says to us, I'm a a reasonable person. If you do everything I say all the time, I'll let you out. But if you don't do everything I say all the time, then you're stuck in here forever. So that's, 
and, 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 and the guard, he, 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 never, he never sleeps. He never even blinks. He sees everything and he takes out his, his, his paper and his pen. He says, he did this wrong. He did this wrong. He did this wrong. We've fallen short. And so that's the analogy Paul rolls with in, in Galatians 3, and that we are all slaves to the law because we can't uphold its standard. And of course, that is the standard set by God. God, and, and, and there's something in us whenever I say that that, 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 that riles up in us and, and says, well, how dare God give us a standard that we can't achieve? But then I think we have to ask the question, well, who are we to question the infinite God and on his standards. So this brings us up to speed with the passage I read earlier in Galatians 4, 4-7. And I want to draw out a few brief points uh, on this passage. The first point is Jesus is Emmanuel. Second, because Jesus is Emmanuel, he can set us free from the curse of the law. And thirdly, because Jesus is Emmanuel, through him we can become children of God. So the first point, Jesus is Emmanuel. If I, if I was asked the question, what, what do we celebrate at Christmas? Uh, I would probably receive quite a few answers depending on where I am. I would assume that the answer, the common answer here would be it's about the birth of Jesus. And that's absolutely correct. That's absolutely right. But I think we can go a little bit deeper than that. Uh, you know, what is it about the birth of Jesus? Um, well, you know, Christmas didn't exist when Paul was around, but... I think Galatians 4 and 5 would be an excellent response to the, the question, what do we celebrate at Christmas? And so let, let, let's read it. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That Christmas is all about the birth of of Emmanuel, the birth of God with us. And so God sent his son and his son was born of woman. And this, this creates a bit of a problem. How can God's son, who's the second person of the Trinity, how can he be born of woman? How can somebody who's eternal, how can a person who's, who's eternal, someone who's always existed, come into existence? That's a, that's a problem, isn't it? And so the problem is solved uh, by God becoming Emmanuel, Jesus becoming Emmanuel, Jesus being born of a woman, Jesus being both God and man. And so this is, this, that's mind-boggling stuff. I don't think anybody can, can grasp that to a great degree, but, uh, but it's true. And it's, it's necessary uh, for God, it was necessary for God to become a man, for Jesus to become the God-man, uh, to rescue us from the curse of the law, uh, or to be our rescuer from, from the prison and the prison guard. So what, what sets Jesus' birth apart from, from every other birth is that he didn't have a human father. He, he, Joseph wasn't his biological father. Uh, but it says in Matthew 1 that he was conceived, or what was conceived in him was from the Holy Spirit. Or what was conceived in Mary, sorry, was from the Holy Spirit. So God sent forth his son, born of a woman. 
But why did Jesus have to be born as a man to save us? Could, could he not save us as, as God? Well, Jesus being, ma- being a man was, was born under the law. And as I said, this is vital to understand. And the reason it's vital to understand is because God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. So why was Jesus born of a woman? So that he could be born under the law. And why is that important? So that he could redeem those under the law. And what does it mean that Jesus redeems us from the law? You know, the the law, as, as I said before, demands that we do everything it says all the time or else we're trapped in the curse forever. So when it says Jesus redeems us from the law, it means that he came and he, he, he paid the price for our release from that prison. He came and he paid the price for our release from the curse. You know, we couldn't get past the guard. He saw everything and he, he sees everything that we do. But Jesus, he took our penalty in full. He he, he paid the price for our release. You see, our problem is not so much that we fell into the prison or that we, uh, we entered into the prison. It's, it's not like we were born good and then we did something wrong and we, we were incarcerated. That's, that's not our problem. The problem is that we were born in the prison, that we were born under the, the guard. We were born under the law. That's the problem we have, and that, that, that is our identity. We are, by nature, slaves to the law and to the prison, to the curse. And you see our hopeless case. We can't get out. We're stuck. We're trapped. We're born there. We belong there. That's our circumstance. We're hopeless. But what if, what if there was somebody who was born outside of the curse, born outside of the prison cell? What if there was one who, who, who wasn't under the curse? What if God sent his beloved son who was without sin, who was born outside of the curse of sin to take the curse and the penalty of the curse on our behalf? That's that's the only answer to the problem, isn't it? We're all stuck in this prison together, so we need somebody who's outside of the prison. And there's only one person who's ever been outside of the prison, and that, his name is Jesus. He's our only, our only hope. He's our only answer. And so what if God, who, who put the prison guard in place, who put the law in place, uh, what if... What if he sent his son to take that penalty, to take the curse on our behalf? He's the only one who could fulfill the law's demands. And so what if he, he was the one who, who could set us free by, by doing all the law says all the time? And that's what Paul was writing about in, in his previous chapter. Is, as he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
And that's what Christmas is, is really all about. It's about God sending his son as, as the redeemer, as the one who sets free slaves. Right. But, but you know, the, the good news doesn't end with him setting free slaves. There is greater news, actually. There is better news. And, and, and the question we ask to get there is why? Why did God set us free? Why did God redeem us? Well, let me read four and five again. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? Why did he redeem us? So that we might receive adoption to sonship. So why did God redeem us? Well, just like there's a deep-seated longing in us when we see a child in, in need of help, to want to help that child. Well, God has that desire in full. He sees us, our desperate, hopeless case. He sees us in the prison cell doing all that we can to try and break free from the prison cell. And he sees us just in, in, in torn clothes and in, in rags. We, haven't, uh, we, we, we don't have the ability. And so he redeems us, he redeems us and he, and he adopts us as children. He opens the prison cell and he says, you are my child. You know, the, the, um, the Romanian children, when the women saw the Romanian children, they didn't just say, wouldn't you just love to buy these children a plane ticket to Northern Ireland. That would be a fair thing to say, but they didn't say that. That wasn't their deep longing. Their deep longing was, wouldn't you just love to buy these children a plane ticket to Northern Ireland to travel with them and to bring them into a family who would care for them and love them? That was, that was the deep longing because that would sustain the children. They could have... Uh, ended up in the streets if it was just a plane ticket. But they wanted to see them come into the family. And so God doesn't just stop at redemption. He goes all the way and says, you are my child. You're no longer a slave, no longer a slave to the law, but you are my son. You are my daughter. Being adopted into, into God's family is the highest, it's the highest privilege there is. Um, so some of you here today might uh, uh, you may not be Christians uh, you may still feel trapped in this, this prison cell feeling the condemnation of the law feeling I've done all that I can to try and get out I've read self-help books I've, 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 I've distracted myself with endless hobbies or endless pursuits of, of tried getting a new job, of, of, of tried to better myself. But you may feel in the end it's all hopeless. Your conscience still burns against you when you do wrong and, and uh, you may just feel like life is meaningless or purposeless. Um, do you know, God sees you. And in, in verse four, it says, when the set time 
had fully come. And that tells us it's in God's time that he redeems us. And it's in God's time he adopts us. And today might be the day where you break free from the prison cell because of Jesus. Wouldn't that be a wonderful day and and a day where you join us as a family who cares for each other and who, who loves each other. You know, the, the, the great thing about being a child of God is that we share in the inheritance of God. And what does God own? Well, God owns everything. And you know, we wanna, we wanna um, think in material terms here. We wanna think, well, if we come into God's family, we will be, we will be wealthy. And yes, eternally we will be wealthy, but that's not the clincher of the gospel. The, the clincher of the gospel is that we inherit God himself. If God is love, we inherit God's love. God is good. We inherit all of God's goodness to us and, and so on. We inherit God himself and we enter into a relationship defined by, by love uh, with him. So to give up the offer of, of redemption and the offer of adoption is really to give up everything. And to us who are children of God, we have a huge task ahead of us, don't we? In, in representing God to everybody around us. The, the challenge is, it's, it's immense. But you know, it doesn't take remarkably talented people to, 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 to do the duties uh, of, of God. If you think about Jesus in, in this passage, it was in humility that he became a man. And it was in humility he paid the price for our release. And it, was in, it is in humility that he calls us brothers and sisters. And so the Christian life is, is all about humility and, and loving each other. And it doesn't take a remarkably talented person to do that. It just takes a person who cares. And, and God will bring about that care. And you know, if you think about the Christian duty, it is to, to love God and, and our neighbor, isn't it? And, and that's funny, isn't it? Because that's a summary of the law. That is the summary of, of the law. And so when we break free from prison, when we leave prison and we leave the, the oversight of the law, the the guard becomes our best friend. He, he, we, we love to, to serve him, which is, is just interesting. Um, but sometimes in our walk, we, we fall out of love with, with God at times, and you know our Christian duties become dull again, and we lose sight of Jesus, or we, we rebel against God in, in some way. These, these times come. You may be feeling uh, this morning, or this evening, sorry, that I've, I feel a bit more like I'm in the prison cell than I'm God's child. That's maybe how you feel. And sometimes when we, when we fall into rebellion, or we become dull, we, we slowly we open the door of the prison cell once again, and we go back into it. 
and we close it behind us and we sit down and, and then we see the law again. And the law, he, he takes out his, his paper and pen again and, and he, he watches us and he says, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. And the more we stay in that prison cell, the more hopeless we become. We lose sight of Jesus and we just see our inability, our weakness. But after a time in the prison cell, God calls us out. He, there are times in the Christian walk where once we, we, we feel weighed down and, and burdened by our own guilt, God in us, the Holy Spirit cries out in us, Abba, Father. We cry out, Jesus, save me. We cry out, oh, Father, help me. And that's, that's God's spirit working in us and bringing us back out of the prison cell, back into a relationship with, with God. And this is evidence that, that we are children of God. And once God calls you his child, then we're always children of God. And, and so there is an imperishable hope. So I, I pray that, that as we enter into a time of, uh, where we, we, we begin thinking about Jesus uh, and God sending his son, I pray that my prayer is that we would meditate on, on this and we would consider and embrace the highest privilege of the Christian life, to be children of God. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we come to you in, in thanks that you sent your son to, to take on the curse for us so that we could be set free and so that we could become children to become your children. And Lord, we pray that as your children, we would act like we belong to the royal family, to the, to the kingdom of God, and that we, would, um, that we would love each other, which is the mark of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.